Before we jump in, let's pray together. Father, we love you so much. Um, As I deliver this word, I trust that your Holy Spirit will speak through this word into the hearts of your people. And we'll do what only the Holy Spirit can do, uh, which is to convict us. Lord, there, there are folks in here, Lord, who may be convicted of the fact that they, they need a Savior. There may be folks who, Lord, are going to discover new truth that's going to change their life today. But we realize and we confess to you that we're nothing without your power. And I stand up here just as a vessel, just desperately needing your power and your strength and your wisdom right now. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's turn to Matthew 22. We are jumping into a brand new series called Sidelines, and over the next uh, four weeks, we're going to be talking and encouraging you and challenging you to uh, get off the sidelines, jump in, get in the game, and to engage in God's mission to see lost people, lost people rescued from a life and an eternity without Christ, and to see those same people become his disciples, to experience abundant life found only in Jesus, as we say around here at Westridge, to lead people to become fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. That's our mission. That's our purpose. That should drive our lives. As I said last week, our ministry is life and our life is ministry. And I want to start with this quote that I used last Sunday from one of my favorite authors, Paul Tripp. He said, what could be a greater, higher honor than to be a chosen instrument for the most important renewal project in the universe, which is redemption. So over the next four weeks, we're going to make a case. We're going to state our case for why it is so important. It is so important for you to partner with Jesus and to get off of the sidelines and to put your spiritual gifts and your talents into play. Why why it's so important for you to engage into the church and why it's, it's now more crucial than ever before to see yourselves as a vital part of God's rescue mission to see lost people become found and to become disciples, to become fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. However, before we do that, I wanted to take this morning and stir the pot a little bit. Matter of fact, I wanted to challenge your thinking. Um, I I thought maybe we'd turn some things upside down. Matter of fact, if, if you don't mind, I'd like to create a little tension in here. Before we, before we talk about anything else. Are you ready for that? All right. See, see, oftentimes when you hear a series like this, or even when we've done series like this in the past, whether it's called Sidelines or Get in the Game or Team Westridge or you know, anything that, that involves engaging more deeply into the ministries of the church, sometimes here's what we, here's what we, this is what we're saying to you. We're, we're saying make church a priority. We're saying invest your resources into God's kingdom work. Put your, your gifts and talents into the game and serve. Learn to bless others and to share your faith. And, and all of that's good stuff and all of it's right stuff. But way too often, here's how it gets translated from here to there. That being a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ, being a fully devoted Christian means doing more activity, working harder, achieving more, gaining more, performing more, earning more. And here's the problem with this. You can actually attend church every Sunday, give regularly, be in a small group, serve weekly, tell others about Jesus without ever really growing in your faith and growing as a fully devoted follower of Jesus. In other words, you could be getting in the game, doing a lot of good things, doing a lot of activity, 
but you may not be growing any closer to Jesus than when you started. In other words, you aren't really becoming more like Jesus. Ultimately, you aren't becoming a follower of Jesus Christ. You're just doing a lot of good stuff. Now, stop and think about that for a moment because that's a dangerous reality. Now, here's why I know that this is true. If you look in Scripture, you see these guys called the Pharisees. And the Pharisees were known for self-righteously keeping the law. They would have won awards for church attendance. When the temple was open, they were there. They gave 10% of their income to the temple. They served with their spiritual gifts in the temple. They knew the Old Testament law front and back and actually tried to obey every single one of those laws, and yet they were as lost as a goose in a snowstorm. They were extremely religious. They were full of religious activity and works, but they were, they were not disciples of Jesus at all. They actually rejected his teachings on love and grace and justice and mercy and faith. And Jesus constantly confronted them about it. If you look in, in Luke chapter 11, Jesus said, listen, speaking to these guys, he says, you tithe your income and that's great, but you neglect justice and the love of God. In Matthew 23, he just completely goes off on them. It's epic. You should read it. He he tells them, you appear to be clean on the outside, full of Scripture and religious activity. But on the inside, you're just full of greed and selfishness. The Pharisees were the most unloving, judgmental, mean-spirited people of their day. And yet they would say that they were off the sidelines, engaged in the game, doing God's work. And you look and go, well, where is the disconnect for these guys? The disconnect was Jesus. Jesus matters. These guys were fully engaged in their minds. They were off the sidelines. They were in the game. They're full of activity, and yet they rejected Jesus. They left out Jesus. Their relationship with God was based on religion and works and not on Jesus, and it showed in the way they lived their lives because as they lived their lives, as they communicated to people, as they were doing what they did, there was no love, there was no grace, there was no mercy, there was no justice, there was no faith. And I want to say this as lovingly as I possibly can to you. This is my fear for some of you. We're going to call you to get off the sidelines, to get in the game, make church attendance a priority, serve, get in a group, get on mission. And like the Pharisee, you may think that all of that's going to get you closer to God or make things right between you or God, or you actually think that it's going to help you gain a right standing or, or entrance into heaven and forgiveness, but it's not. Because if that were possible, then there would be no need for Jesus. There would have been no purpose in God sending his son Jesus to earth to die for your sins and to offer you grace and love and forgiveness and salvation. Jesus matters. So before we go any further, I want you to know that if you are here today and you just realized that you've had all of this wrong and Jesus is missing from your life, you're, you're truly lost. Listen, I want you to know that God loves you. He actually created you so that you could receive his love and enjoy hanging out with him forever. But don't miss this. Your sin separates you from God. Right now, you are at odds with him, and no amount of religious activity or work is going to fix that. But Jesus came and provided a fix. The Bible says that sin demands a payment. Sin demands a payment. A ransom had to be paid to rescue us 
from, from the bondage of sin. And Jesus came and he took our sin and he took your sin and my sin to the cross and he lovingly sacrificed his life to pay the ransom for that sin so that you and I could have forgiveness, we could have acceptance, and we could have a personal relationship with God. Matter of fact, Jesus is what separates every. It it separates true Christianity from every other religion in the world. There there are people out there today that are like, it's all the same. We we basically worship the same God. That's not true because here's the difference. The common thread that runs through being a Muslim or being a Hindu or being a Buddhist or even a Jew or a Mormon and even most Catholic church is, is that you have to work to receive a right standing with God. You have to earn God's forgiveness and salvation. And guess what? Your work at the end of the day may not be quite enough, but the Bible says that Jesus did all that for you so that you could be in right standing with God. What he did was enough. That's why Jesus matters so much. Jesus is the difference. What Jesus did on the cross was enough. So at the end of this service, I'm going to give you an opportunity to make a decision to receive the love of God by putting your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ alone to be your Savior, if that's something you've never done before. Now, let me switch gears a little bit for for a moment and talk to most of you in this room who have already received God's free gift of salvation by faith through His grace. By faith, here's what you've done. You've already received God's love. You've already received his free gift of salvation. You've received forgiveness. You've received Jesus. You've received his acceptance. You've been adopted into his family. And all of that happened as an act of God's grace. But now here's what happens way too often. Thinking that we have to continue to earn God's love and acceptance and favor, which we already have through Jesus... We roll up our sleeves and we get busy for God. We read our Bible not to spend time with God, but to earn favor. We go to church to earn love. We give our tithes and offerings out of duty, thinking that we're going to earn blessing. We serve in kids' ministry out of guilt. We, we go on mission trips and we dig wells in Africa out of this obligation, thinking that we're going to earn more rewards from God. We do all of this good stuff, and yet in the midst of all this activity... We can end up no closer to Jesus than we actually started. Without even realizing it, we can actually become just like the Pharisees. And here's why I know this to be true, and this is from real life experience. I've been a Christian now for almost 40 years, and yet some of the most unloving, meanest, most self-righteous, most judgmental people around are people who go to church three times a week give their tithe, attend Sunday school faithfully, never drink, smoke, cuss, or hang out with women that do. And in their minds, and in their minds, they are totally off the sidelines in the game, and yet they've completely missed the boat. You say, how is that? Well, in their minds, their relationship is ba- with God is based on a list of things they do for them for him and how well they keep that list instead of a response to the amazing love and grace and forgiveness that they've already received from God and what Christ has already accomplished for them. It's called doing to receive instead of responding to what's already been done. It's performance-based Christianity instead of grace and faith-based Christianity. And here's what happens. It either creates an ugly, self-righteous brand of Christianity or 
on the complete opposite side of that, it makes you disillusioned to think that no matter how much you do, you will never actually do enough. God will never be satisfied with you. It will never be enough to please him. And again, where's the disconnect? The disconnect is Jesus. Jesus gets left out of the equation. Listen, Jesus matters before you become a Christian, and he matters after you become a Christian. The gospel is first and foremost about lost sinners receiving God's love and forgiveness and and grace, made possible by the sacrificial death of Jesus, and then living out that same love and forgiveness and acceptance and grace to others in response to that. See, we we too often put the cart before the horse. We get off the sidelines and we get in the game and we, we perform to try to receive love instead of getting in the game as a response to the love that we've already received. Now, let me, let me see if I can explain it this way. There's a teacher of the law that comes to Jesus and he's actually trying to trick him. He offers him a test. And, and in Matthew 22, here's how it says, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, Okay, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then Jesus says this. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. In other words, Jesus used his answer to basically summarize the whole Old Testament law. There were, there were 613 Old Testament laws, and Jesus summarized all of them with these two statements. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your heart soul, and mind, and then love your neighbor as yourself. These two commandments depend, on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Now, what was the entire point of God giving the Jewish people the law? It was to point them for their desperate need for a Savior. It was to say to them that, listen, keeping the law is absolutely impossible. All of the sacrifices in the world will never make up for the penalty of sin. You can sacrifice all you want, but the law points to Jesus. I can't love God the way he wants me to. It's impossible without Jesus. It just can't happen. Why? Because my sin just keeps getting in the way. We certainly can't love our neighbor like we love ourselves because either we don't really love ourselves or we love ourselves too much. But I can love my neighbor when Jesus is in the equation. See, Jesus didn't disregard or do away with the Old Testament law. He actually fulfilled it. He, he accomplished it himself to prepare us to receive his love and grace. And at the same time, he empowered us to give his love away. Jesus actually flipped the script. He changed the narrative. Jesus took performance-based, work-based religion, and he turned it over on its ugly head. Now, how did he do that? Okay, I'm getting ready to go deep. Are you with me? Now, let's go deep together. All right, don't, there's no football games to worry about this afternoon, and NASCAR's not around right now, right? So let's go deep. The night before Jesus was crucified, here's what he told his, his followers in John 13. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. And by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you do what? You have love for one another. Now here's how this new commandment works. Instead of loving my neighbor as I love myself, I love my neighbor just as Jesus loved me. 
This new commandment begins with Jesus' love for us, and then we love one another in response to his love for us. It, It changes the order. He loves me first, and then I love others in response. Him, and then me. He loved me first, therefore in response, I can love others the way he wants me to love them. He loved me first, therefore in response, I can love God the way he wants me to love him. Jesus said, listen, when we love one another, not out of duty, not out of obligation, not out of rewards or to perform, but in response to his love, the world will actually then know that we are his, we are his disciples. That's why Jesus matters. So, how do I respond to this amazing news? What, what do I do? Well, a couple days ago I was running through my neighborhood and I'm praying about this service because I got to this point and I'm going, how do I land this plane? Now, when I was in seminary and, and went through uh, homiletics, which is teaching you how to preach, the way that preachers are usually taught to preach is you come up with an outline and every, every phrase, whatever, begins with the same letter, all right? And I've spent most of my preaching life trying not to do that. But as I'm running, all of these words are coming to me and they all start with the same letter. So here we go. This is how I'm going to land this plane smoothly, hopefully. Here's how we respond to this amazing news that God has given us. First of all, receive his love. Now, I don't know if you know this, but you were created for love. You were created to receive God's love. Now, I want you to think about this for just a moment. Here's this amazing God who is all-sufficient. He doesn't need anything. He doesn't need us. He has all the fellowship and the friendship that he needs through the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, they had a perfect union. They didn't need anything outside of that. He doesn't need our worship and praise, although he loves it, and the Bible says he desires it. He actually, it says he inhabits the praise of his people. He doesn't need glory. He, has all, he, he already has all the glory he will ever need. But he has something to give. And so what does he do? He creates us, and what he has to give us is love, deep, unconditional love. And so he creates you to offer you his love. And this is how he offers it. In 1 John chapter 4 verse 9 he says, this is how God showed his love amongst, among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Now, I don't know about you, I just got goosebumps reading that. As I said earlier, sin created a problem for us to to, to just have this loving relationship with God. And Jesus cleared the way. When Jesus was on the cross and he said these words, it is finished, he not only fulfilled the law, but he paid for sin. He cleared the way for you to completely and fully receive God's love. And not just once, but every single day. Whoa, 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 wait, wait a minute, Brian. Hold, hold, time out. What about in Scripture where it says that we were created to bring God, God glory? Yep. What about it says where we, we were created to worship Him or to fellowship Him? Listen, what could bring God more glory than for you to fully receive His love and then to respond to others in that love? What, what could cause God 
to feel more worshiped and praised than for you to receive his love and then respond back to him with that same kind of love. You were created. Think, let this soak in for a moment. You were created to receive God's love. Should I just drop the mic and leave? I don't know what to, uh, Let's go to the next R. The next R. Because this is really where people struggle. And I'm going to raise my hand on this one. Rest in his love. When my boys were babies, they really struggled to go to sleep. Um, putting them in a crib and leaving, that, I won't go into all the details. But, but they didn't want to miss anything that was going on, all the action that was going on. So, so, so I would hold them in my, arms, in my arms and I would try to rock them to sleep. And usually I would give them to Amy and go, here, you try this. But they would fight, they would fight with their little legs and their arms and push away from us. But eventually they would just c- calm down and they would drift off and they would fall asleep. They could rest in our arms because they felt safe with us. They knew we were going to be there when they woke up. They, they knew that we just loved them just because we loved them. Some of you are struggling with doubt and fear and worry and anxiety because you're not quite sure that God has the ability to take care of you. You're not quite sure that he has the ability to provide for your needs or that he can handle your messiness or that he can handle all of your sin, past, present, or future. Or you're wondering if he's going to get tired of you and leave you. And so you struggle to rest in his love. And sometimes you fight with God. Sometimes you, you try everything in the world to measure up to try to gain his love or you go outside of his arms to find the love that only he can give you. And here's my prayer for you. It's what Paul spoke words over. It's it's what he said over over the church at Ephesus in in Ephesians chapter 3. Here's what he says. And may you have the power to understand, as all of God's people should, how wide and how long and how high and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Paul says, that's a good good time to clap. That's a good clap moment. Paul says that the, that, that the love that God has offered us is so wide and so long and so deep and so high and it's too great to fully understand. But he says, listen, when we truly experience it, we will be made complete with the fullness of life and power that comes from God alone. In other words, as we continue to understand it, as we continue to let our, just, our lives just rest in it and experience it and soak in it, then we'll learn to calm down and rest in it. And then remain in it. Remain in his love. John chapter 15. Jesus says, as the Father has loved me, so have I have loved you. Now, remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this. Love each other as I've loved you. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friend. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. 
Instead, Jesus says, I've called you friends. For everything that I have learned from my Father, I have made known to you. And then look at verse 17. This is my command. Love each other. Love each other. Jesus told his followers, he said, listen, I've loved you just like my Father has loved me. So remain in that love. Remain in my love. Now, how do we do that? How do we remain in his love? Well, he lays it out for us in these verses. He says, first of all, follow, follow my command. What's his command? Well, the focus is still on love. And this is how it works. He pours his love on, on us through the cross. We receive his love by faith. And then we love him and each other out of our response. We can love others because we have received his love first. My ability to love others is an outpouring of his love for me. Now listen, I know for some of you, to love, to love anyone is a big risk. But I want you to know something. You can love someone else because Jesus made the way. He loved you first. You, you can love someone that's different than you because Jesus paved the way. Jesus paved the way. He loved you first. You might be fighting with your husband or wife going, unlovable. You can love them because Jesus paved the way. He loved you first. You can love someone with different skin color than you because Jesus made the way. He loved us first. You can love a Democrat or a Republican because Jesus paved the way. He loved us first. You can love a Muslim because Jesus paved the way. He loved us first. Listen, when you look at the life of Jesus, here's what he did. He loved his accusers. He loved his enemies. He loved his persecutors. He loved the people that killed him. How, How did he do that? Out of the response to his father's love for him. And so he hasn't just commanded us to take a risk to love others and left us powerless. No, by remaining him in him, allowing our, ourselves to just soak in his love and to be empowered by us, he has actually empowered us to do what he's called us to do. How is that possible? Well, you fellowship with him. Now, fellowship is a nice Christian word that basically just means we're going to hang out. We're going to stay connected to each other. And Jesus says in verse 15, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, he says, I call you my friends because everything that I've learned from my father, I have made known to you. Now, how in the world can I learn what Jesus wants me to know? By spending time with him. You spend time with him in the word. You spend time with him in prayer. You spend time with him by staying connected through the power of the Holy Spirit, by surrendering my will to his will, by depending on him daily. That's what it means to remain in him, to abide in him, to hang out with him. When God calls you his friend, you know what that is? That's an open invitation for any one of you to hang out with him. And it's an awesome reminder to us, to every one of us, that you're never alone. You are never friendless because Jesus says, the Son of God says, you're my friend. So you receive his love, you rest in his love, you remain in in his love, and then you respond in his love. You reciprocate. And the reason I didn't put that is because I'm not sure I can say that word too many times. 1 John 4, 19, we love, why? Because he loved us first. When you know he created you to receive his love, it, listen, it totally changes the way you serve, doesn't it? 
I no longer serve out of guilt or obligation or out of duty. No, no, no. My service to Christ and his church is a response to his love for me. When you know he calls you to rest in his love and now you realize that you don't have to work or perform any longer to gain love and acceptance from him or anyone else, you can respond in love by putting your gifts and your talents out there in his service because it doesn't matter what anyone else thinks about you or about them because he likes you, he loves you, and you can rest in that. When you know, when you know he's called you to remain in his love, then, then his commands involving things like being generous with your money or giving your time, they're no longer a burden or a drudgery. They become a joyful, beautiful response to a love that we don't deserve and could have never earned. It changes the way that you open the door on Sunday for someone to come in. You're not standing there opening the door going, come on in, I'm here out of duty. No, 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 you're opening the door going, you've got to get in here to hear what has changed my life. You're not out there just parking cars because no one else will do it. No, no, you're out there going, park in this space right here. I'm gonna help you do that because when you get in there, you could possibly hear something that's going to change your life forever. It will, change, it will change how you approach leading a group throughout the week. It changes how you get up on Sunday mornings. I don't have to, I get to. I love, I can't wait to. Because of his love for me, my response back is love. So here's how I want to challenge you on one, week one of this series to get off the sidelines. Receive his love and respond to everything God is calling you to do out of that love. We live in a community, a country, and a world, listen, that desperately needs to experience the love of Jesus. They they need our words, but listen, more than anything, they need to see it backed up by action. They need to see love. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the Apostle Paul says that without without love, you're just making meaningless noise like a loud gong or or a banging cymbal. Jesus said, this is how the world will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. He said, love each other in the same way I have loved you. And some of you are struggling with getting off the sidelines when it comes to love. Listen, you don't don't know how to receive love. So you continue to try to work for it or try to earn it or try to qualify it or you continue to perform for it. And yet John chapter 3 verse 16, which is what? The most probably quoted popular verse in the whole Bible says, God so loved the world that he did what? He made the first step. Out of love he gave his son for you. God initiated his love to you through Jesus because he knew you couldn't earn it. He knew you couldn't work to get it. Jesus gave his life so that you could receive it. He loved us that much. Listen, that's why Jesus matters so much. And again, listen, you can't share, give, or live out what you haven't received. And there are some of you that are still trying to earn God's love and acceptance and his friendship and his forgiveness and by, by continuing to try to perform or by doing more or by working harder. You need to receive his love. The Bible says he loves us with an everlasting love. In other words, it never ends, it never stops, it never fails, and it never runs out. We need to rest in his love. His love, his forgiveness, his acceptance, his friendship, his approval for you was all accomplished and made available by Jesus, and we need to rest in that. We need to remain in it. 
Keep following his command. Keep hanging out with him. Let him continue to lead you and give you wisdom on how to love others, especially difficult people during difficult times. Can't do that without the power of the Holy Spirit by remaining in his love. And then we need to respond. When you realize how amazing it is that God not only created you for love, but then he offered it to you through Jesus. Listen, you can't help but share that with other people. So right now, here's what I want to do. I told you I was going to do this at the beginning of the service. Some of you have never received the love of God. And God offers it to you today through what Jesus Christ has done for you by paying for your sins, doing for you what you could have never done on your own. And it's no mistake that you're here today. God wants to know, will you receive this love? I want you to bow your head for a moment. If you're here today and you find yourself lost, trying to work, earn, gain, perform the love of God, to make things right between you and God by doing, thinking that maybe you were born in the right family, the right part of town, the right part of the, the country, or, or it's just religion or thinking you're going to be good enough or thinking, you know what, I was a Christian when I was born. That's not true. Otherwise, there'd be no need for Jesus. Jesus did for you what you can't do on your own. And now he offers you his love. He sent you love and his name is Jesus. If you've never received him, I want you to pray with me. Father, right now, it just makes sense forgiveness has come to me not through what I've done but through what Jesus has done for me and I receive forgiveness, I receive grace I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone, Father forgive me for thinking otherwise and for every sin I've ever committed the blood of Jesus paid for it all and I put all of my faith and all of my trust in you alone and I receive by faith your gift of grace And I ask Jesus Christ to be my personal Lord and Savior. If you just prayed that with me, head still bowed. I want you to take your Get Connected card, fill it out, take it to the help center on the atrium. And would you you let us know so we can help you on your journey to becoming a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. Father, for the rest of us, including myself, may we continue every day to receive your love because it's always being offered to us not just once but every day and may we learn to rest in it may we learn to rest in what's already been done for us knowing that you have it all together that you hold our lives in your hands and you're not leaving us we're secure and safe in your arms and may we remain in it Father may may we continue to spend time with you because you've offered us your friendship, Lord. You actually have offered us into fellowship. May we remain in that, Father, and may we allow the Holy Spirit to empower us to do what we can't do on our own. May we surrender our will to yours. May we depend on you daily. And may we, Father, out of just a response to what we've received, offer the same love to others. Thank you for giving us the power and the ability and the strength to do it. In Jesus' name we pray.